Uh, good morning again. Uh, so this morning's message is from Luke chapter 1, and um, Luke chapter 1, chap- uh, verses 26 through to 38. And we're going to be looking at uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Like other historic figures of scripture, there are things about Mary's character and her interactions with God that we can learn on. Um, She gives us an example of humility and faithfulness. God, through the angel Gabriel, reveals his plan for Mary. And as we will see, Mary is initially troubled and uncertain of what this was all about. God's plan for her must have seemed to have been right out of left field. The revelation that Gabriel brings included the seemingly impossible and there could also be some unwanted implications on the road ahead for her. What we'll find is that Mary did not have all the answers but she responds with humility and faithfulness. When God's will and his plans are revealed to us and when we don't have all the answers, how do we respond? Are we also humble and faithful? Let's pray and then we'll come to the word. <coughs> Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we, we thank you that we can learn from your word, that you can teach us uh, through scripture. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement it brings. And Lord, we also thank you for the challenges that it brings to us. Lord, we pray that as we come to your word and, and come to this message this morning, Lord, may your Holy Spirit just quicken to us uh, things that apply to us personally and to us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
and the angel departed from her. Now, when we study people who feature in scripture, we can learn valuable lessons on developing godly character and how to interact with God. And this is through the example of the person's own relationship with God and through their characteristics. We certainly do this in, in Mary's case. Now, while today's sermon is focusing on Mary and her humility and faithfulness, we should recognise that the main theme of today's scripture is actually the declaration of the coming of the long-awaited Messiah. The title to this passage in my Bible is Birth of Christ Foretold. And usually those titles, they sort of summarise the main theme of the passage that you're about to read. So Mary's story is part of that bigger story. The bigger story is that Christ the King is coming and it's going to happen very soon. So before we focus on Mary, let's review the big picture of today's scripture. And in doing so, we don't miss the context in which Mary's actions feature. Firstly, um, Christ's imminent birth is announced by God through Gabriel. And God spells out who Christ is and what he will accomplish. Now, uh, this isn't the first time that such a declaration is made. In fact, throughout history up until that time and throughout the Bible, the coming Messiah is promised and prophesied about many times. And we're just going to take a quick look at a couple of those prophetic words. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God speaks to the serpent, who is Satan, about how God had placed enmity between the woman and the serpent. The offspring of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent, and the serpent will bruise his heel. Now according to um, one commentary that I read, this verse is known as the first gospel. It is the Bible's first announcement of the coming Redeemer, and it was considered as a word of hope to God's people. It was also a declaration of war against Satan, a war in which uh, Satan would lose and in which he would ultimately be condemned. And to Eve, this word was meant that she had been forgiven and that God would use a woman to bring the Redeemer into the world. Later on in scripture we see that Abraham has promised that he and his descendants would be a blessing to all nations. Through his line all the world would be blessed. Israel would be a blessing to the nations around them. Um, now this promise is initially fulfilled through Israel but ultimately it is fulfilled in Christ. Also a, um, a word to King David points to the coming Messiah. God gives a promise to David about one of his descendants and we can read about this in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 12 to 14. And, and as I read this out, just note how similar this is to the promise that was given to Mary through the angel Gabriel. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, 
who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So that was a word given to King David. And that promise was initially fulfilled through Solomon, but is ultimately again fulfilled through Christ. And it's pretty much the same promise that Gabriel brings to Mary. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. There's three things that we can see in both of these prophecies about the coming Messiah. Firstly, he will be one of David's offspring and would sit on David's throne. Also, the son who is king would be established by God and we can see that. It's God who established Solomon and it's God who established Jesus. And also, this son's kingdom would be established forever. It's eternal. All of those things are fulfilled in Christ. Now, the second part of the big picture in this account of Mary is the virgin birth. The doctrine of the virgin birth of Christ is one of those cornerstone beliefs that we as Christians hold to. And um, as we know, it's also a stumbling block uh, of unbelief to many people. Our own statement of faith refers to this belief. So I, I managed to drag that out here. This is from the Wanganu East Baptist Church Statement of Faith. We believe in the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his virgin birth, in his sinless life, in his miracles, in his atoning death through his shed blood, in his bodily resurrection, in his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and his personal return in power and glory. So that there is a summary of, of what we as a church believe, and it's pretty similar to what um, most Christian churches believe as well. And so amongst that, amongst those beliefs, was the virgin birth. The Bible clearly states that Jesus was conceived in the womb of his mother, his mother Mary, by a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, and without the involvement of a human father. Throughout scripture there are a couple of references to the virgin birth of Christ. And the first is in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. And you'll be familiar with this, this uh, particular verse. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now later on we see that this prophecy uh, is confirmed as relating to Mary and to her son Jesus. 
in Matthew chapter 1. And this is uh, where an angel appears in a dream to Joseph. This is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 22. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So clearly this, this event happened after uh, what we read in Luke. And if husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet in Isaiah 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the, the prophecy of the virgin birth is fulfilled in Christ. And we see um, Mary's response to Gabriel's announcement that she was to be with child was to ask the question, how was this going to happen? How will this be as I am a virgin? Now, Mary wasn't questioning God through unbelief. She was more seeking clarification on how is this actually going to work. One of the things we can glean about Mary is that she listened carefully to what God was telling her and she considered the mechanics of what God was revealing to her. She didn't react in fear, in flight or disbelief. She didn't run away from what it was or just go, no, that's not for me. She sought clarification from God about what this was all about. If you compare this to Zechariah the high priest, earlier in uh, Luke chapter 1, um, he did show a lack of faith by questioning God's ability to deliver on his promise to him. Um, you'll remember that God, through the angel Gabriel again, promised that he and his wife would have a son, uh, which was to be John the Baptist. But they were advanced in years and beyond uh, childbearing age. So um, Zechariah's uh, response was more of a lack of faith whereas Mary's was more seeking clarification. And the outcome for Zechariah was that God took away his ability of speech for a certain amount of time. Now, while Mary questioned the, the how of the virgin birth, this morning we are going to ask the question why. Why is the virgin birth so important? Why is it important that we, as Christians in faith, believe in the virgin birth of Christ. Now, for the answers to that question, I'm going to take the easy way out and default to a theologian. Um, his name is Wayne Grudem, and he makes three points on the doctrinal importance of the virgin birth. Firstly, it shows that salvation ultimately comes from God. The virgin birth of Christ is an unmistakable reminder that salvation can never come through human effort. 
but must be the supernatural work of God himself. When we think of our own salvation, we know that it is not through our own effort, it is through Christ. Um, Secondly, the virgin birth made possible the uniting of full deity and full humanity into one person. Jesus is fully God and fully man. God in his wisdom ordained a combination of human and divine influence in the birth of Christ. His full humanity would be evident to us from the fact of his ordinary human birth from a human mother. So we can see that, that he's fully human. And his full deity would be evident from the fact of his conception in Mary's womb by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, the the virgin birth made possible that Christ, while being fully human, did not inherit mankind's sinful nature. As we know, Christ was without sin. This means that he did not act sinfully, but it also meant that he did not inherit the sinful nature that was handed down to each person born into this world from the time of Adam. According to Wayne Grudem, the work of the Holy Spirit in Mary must have prevented not only the transmission of sin from Joseph, for Jesus had no human father, but also in a miraculous way the transmission of sin from Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, therefore the child to be born will be called holy. Holy without sin. So there are some of our major Christian beliefs. Christ is fully man and fully God. Christ lived his earthly life without sin. The virgin birth of Christ is a cornerstone belief because it is the mechanism by which those other facts about Christ came about. So the big picture in this revelation to Mary was that the long-awaited Messiah was about to arrive. He would be a son of David and his kingdom would be established forever. And in fulfilment to Isaiah's prophecy, he would be born of a virgin. In that way, he was fully man and fully God and would be without sin. So in light of all of this, we can appreciate why Gabriel greeted Mary, O favoured one. You have been favoured by God, and behold, you will conceive a son who is the Messiah, the saviour of all mankind. So she was indeed hugely blessed and God showed her incredible grace. So what was so special about Mary that she earned this honour? Well, firstly, uh, Mary didn't earn this blessing. While Mary had godly qualities that, that we're going to look into, it was by God's grace. He was showing his favour to Mary. What we find is that Mary wasn't really any different from anyone else. She lived a humble life. Uh, She was most likely a farm girl who was not extraordinary in any way. She was from a place of no real significance. She was living in a place called Nazareth. And um, we probably all know that Bible quote, don't we? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Uh, this, this quote is accredited to Nathaniel, one of Jesus' disciples. Um, 
to be fair, before he met and got to know Jesus. So the point is, is that Nazareth wasn't a highly regarded place at that time. She was a normal girl from an ordinary town. Uh, also, Mary was quite young. Uh, she was probably around 15 at the time of the angel's visit and I would imagine that Joseph was of a similar age. Uh, the other thing was that she was betrothed to be married. Um, so she was living what was an ordinary life in those times. Uh, an interesting thing about um, the Jewish culture in, in regards to the marriage cult uh, process is that it's quite different to what most of us are familiar with uh, today. And it also just gives a little bit of um, extra to, to what was going on in this situation. Uh, marriage was a three-step process. Firstly, there was the engagement, and this was often arranged by the parents through a matchmaker. Couple-to-be were still children, so they would have been really quite young when this process happened. Then there was the betrothal, and this was the stage that Mary and Joseph were at. The betrothal is when the engagement to be married is made official and um, during the, that time uh, there was to be no sexual relations between the couple. And then finally came the wedding. The wedding was usually held a year after the betrothal came into effect and the wedding could last a whole week. Uh, it seems quite a bit to organise for a whole day in our culture but in those days the hidden could last a whole week and it was at this time that the marriage was consummated. So we see that Mary was probably no different from any of the other girls at that time and in that place. Nothing special or distinguishing about her but that's how God works, isn't it? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us that God chooses the foolish, the weak and the meek for his purposes so that no human can boast in his presence. And, and this is encouraging because it means God can choose and use any one of us. So God brings forth this revelation to Mary. It was incredible and it was challenging. As Gabriel unfolded the revelation, Mary responds twice. And through these responses, she reveals her humility and her faithfulness. At first she is greatly troubled by Gabriel's greeting, calling her favoured and revealing that the Lord is with her. She tries to discern what all of this means. Now this response shows us a few things. It shows us that Mary was thoughtful, she was considered and she was also humble. Mary is just an ordinary person who is surprised by the idea that God has shown her such grace. You see, Mary understood who God is and she understood who she is in light of God's greatness and his grace. And that's the definition of humility when we think in relation to God. It's knowing who you are in the light of God's greatness and grace. Now Mary, who was humble in nature, was receiving God's grace, not because of her goodness or merit. She was favoured by God. We should not make anything more of Mary 
or for that matter any other person in scripture than what the scripture itself makes of them. They are human like us and any favour shown to them is through God's grace. There's another example of someone responding to God's will and humility and that is Paul. He reveals in Ephesians chapter 3 and recognises that his ministry is given to him by God's grace. He isn't humble in his approach to this ministry. This is um, from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul recognised that his ministry was through God's grace. And you can see the humility. He didn't even rank himself high amongst the saints. Paul goes on from there to explain um, the ministry of the gospel that he was called to, um, what it involved. And, um, yeah, and as we can see, he recognises that it's through God's grace that he had it. But what about us? When God reveals himself or his will to us, how do we react? Do we recognise God's grace in our lives? When God calls us into something, do we recognise that it's through his grace? Are we humble? Do we recognise who we are in the light of his greatness? Now, um, after his initial greeting and, and Mary's response, Gabriel encourages Mary to not to be afraid as she has found favour with God. He then goes on to reveal God's will for her, that she is to be with child through the Holy Spirit and then goes on to explain who this child will be, which is um, what we read about earlier about Jesus. Another point about this situation is that God's will may not always appear to be a desirable thing. Consider that Gabriel was telling Mary that she was about to be pregnant. Now, this was at a time of her life that she should not have been having any intimate relations with anyone, not even her betrothed fiancé, Joseph. Now, clearly, in that society, an unexplained teenage pregnancy would be highly frowned upon. And that's um, probably an understatement. Not only would she face the disapproval of others, she could be cast out, or even worse. We read in Matthew chapter 1 that Joseph was considering how to go about divorcing Mary because of this situation. She could have lost her fiancé and then been all alone with the child and absolutely no means of support. The perceived implications of God's will could be quite costly to her. However, despite all of that, we see Mary's faithfulness to submit to God's will. And it's very evident. In the last verse of today's passage, she gives one of the best examples of a faithful response to an unforeseen, 
unlikely and uninvited revelation from God. You know, all of this would have been right out of the blue. But look at her response. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She was willing to submit to God's will. She was going to submit to this incredible plan that God had for her. A plan that included the miraculous and that might also be fraught with tough times ahead. However, it was God's plan and his spirit would be with her. Remember also that Gabriel had just explained to her that nothing is impossible for God. Her relative Elizabeth was already with child despite being barren and advanced in years. God is the God of the impossible and God had everything in hand. Mary's response sounds very similar to the response of her son many years later. He was faced with the uncertainty of an unjust and painful death. And he prayed to God in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and this is from Luke chapter 22, so it's further on in the, in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 22:42. And again, this is another familiar verse. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. These faithful responses from Mary and Jesus are born out of humility and a trust in God's provision. Trusting God no matter what was laying ahead. Looking at ourselves, what is our response to the word of God? When it comes to the will of God and his purposes that would undoubtedly impact our lives, how do we respond? Are we afraid to accept God's will because they might disrupt our lives or bring about tough times? Do we trust the God of the impossible to work out, how, to work out his will in our lives? Are we like Mary who despite not having all the answers still respond in faith? Are we able to say, not my will but yours be done. Just like to uh, finish uh, with a verse from uh, Proverbs chapter three. Proverbs chapter three, verses five to six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. Let's pray. Lord, we confess today that you are certainly the God of the impossible and we, we see that this morning through this revelation and, and through the actions that you took through your servant Mary. Lord, we just thank you that for, your, for the plan that you've had right from the word go really to, to bring about salvation, to bring about salvation to, to us, your people. And Lord, may we respond in like Lord, may we be humble and, and know who we are in the light of your greatness and your grace. And Lord, may we be faithful and trusting in you, knowing that you are so much greater than us and that you know 
what the big picture is. Lord, we just pray as we go forth from here and, and as we share together in a shared lunch, may we encourage one another uh, with your word and with your encouragements, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.